Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm really happy to be here with you today. We've got a great show in store. But before we jump into the conversation for today, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about one of our incredible partners, Thistle Farms. So I want to let you in on a little something. Mother's Day is coming up. It's Sunday, May 9th. If you did not know, put it on your calendar. And it provides us with a special moment to honor so many special women in our lives, the moms, the mothering voices, and our friends who have dreams of becoming mothers. Well, I have the most beautiful Mother's Day idea for you. Thistle Farms is one of my favorite organizations. Thistle Farms helps women survivors of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction get a second chance at life. They fund their mission while providing meaningful employment for survivors by selling all these beautiful products like candles, lotions, jewelry, and textiles that are all made by women survivors in Nashville and around the world. Through their amazing program, women receive housing, trauma therapy, education, and personal development all completely free. Y'all, I can't even tell you how lives are changed through this program. I've gotten to see their work firsthand, and I just believe in it so much. It's a perfect chance for you to love on your mom or the mother figure in life and lift up other women this Mother's Day with handmade gifts from thistlefarms.org. Just go to thistlefarms.org and use the code that sounds fun for 15% off. That's one off. Again, that's thistlefarms.org and the code that sounds fun for 15% off. Today, our guest is one of your favorites, one of my favorites, Dr. Matthew Sleeth. He was on episode 178 talking about reforesting faith. He's the author of one of my favorite Sabbath books called 24-6. He has a new book coming out on May 4th called Hope Always. How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. And before we start, I just want to give a little warning for many BFFs and maybe for your own heart and your own story that this episode is almost entirely about suicide. And it is an important conversation that I really want us to have. And I would really encourage you, wherever you are in your own story, to listen to Dr. Sleeth today. I think he has some genuinely life-saving words. But as far as kids, you may want to listen first before your kids join us on this episode, just because it might start some conversations that uh, you want to have some idea of how to lead those based on what you hear Dr. Sleeth say. So um, before we even get to him, let me say again to you something I hope you know Um, But I will say it to you as well. Your life matters and you really matter. And you reflect the image of God to all of us. We are all made in his image and we need you. We need you not to go anywhere. And so I hope you'll stick around for this conversation um, and remember how much you matter. So here's my conversation with Dr. Matthew Sleeth. Dr. Sleeth, welcome back to That Sounds Fun. It's great to be back with you. It really is. Oh, it's, I mean, you're one of the guests that people constantly say to us, will you have Dr. Sleeth back? Will you have Dr. Sleeth back? And we're like, yes, 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 he's coming. He's on the calendar. Thank you. So we are really glad you're here. Let me, I just love a friend check in. 2020, how's your family? How was last year? What, how, how are you? Thank you so much for asking. My wife and I, this is our 40th year of marriage. Well done. And I know that there's been all this suffering around the world and everything from the pandemic, but it was the honeymoon that my wife and I never got. Really? And so we just, um, I I was able to write this book we're going to talk about, and we were able to be together, um, and my 
my children in Africa, my son who's the pediatrician yes. uh, in at Tenwick Hospital is coming home in in about two weeks, and my wife's just ready to pop that she's going <laughs> to oh, see sure. the grandkids again. <laughs> and my daughter and her husband are are doing great. So we feel very very blessed. As a a physician. Mm-hmm. Will you t- talk a little bit? You, one of the things I love about you, and as I read Hope Always and as I read your books, I mean, I was saying out loud to people here, he's brilliant. You guys, he's brilliant. I think you're brilliant. So you're a physician and you're a teacher, a, someone very knowledgeable of the Bible. What are your thoughts on the pandemic now? Like, what what was that? What's happening? Do we ever go back to a life before 2020? Goodness, I don't know. I do know that at the very start of it, my wife and I sat down and said, how are we going to redeem this time? Wow. And this book is one of the products. And how are we going to grow spiritually? How are we going to stay in touch with people? And I think that no matter what, we're all going to experience other things other than this in the future. And if we use them as opportunities uh, to grow, we're going to grow. That's mm-hmm. and and so we we put it before the Lord right at the start, yeah. and kind of made a plan. Yeah. So that that was how we handled it. What's going to happen in the future? Only the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there'll be tough times, and there'll be good times for all of us. What was it like watching the medical side of this whole thing? You know, it was it was tough. My my children, my son, I mentioned, and my daughter in law, who's a P, uh, PA, were were home at the beginning of the COVID last year. They just come home for a visit. They they were here, and they immediately. My son went back on faculty at University of Kentucky, mm-hmm. running a COVID unit. Oh my gosh! And so we were sort of separated uh, from our kids. It's been tough for them. Uh, we don't understand the resources that we have here. He's dealing with the same thing in uh, Kenya with just far, far fewer resources. Mm -hmm. So it makes you grateful for everything that we have. They're still not immunized, and they're um, they're coming home real soon, and I hope they get here safely. Yeah, yeah. Today, we are going to talk about your new book, Hope Always, and a topic that we've never really covered as a show before, talking about suicide. There were a couple of questions people gave us beforehand that I think would be a fun way to walk ourselves to toward the book from our friends on the AFD Weekend Review list. And this one I just love because for people who haven't met you before, they should go back and listen to you on the show. But you're known for talking about Sabbath, which I love, uh, talking about you have a whole Bible the, called the Green Bible. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And and kind of what's going on in the ecology of the world and, and creation. So this question I loved. Sherry says, how did the dogwood trees always know it's Easter? They always seem to bloom at Easter, no matter when Easter falls. I think where that question is coming from is there is a folklore out of Europe that the tree, the wood that Christ was crucified on was dogwood mm-hmm. and that the tree had been straight up until that point there's no that it's that's that's folklore okay but it is a tree that that blooms and i think that the lord is always uh, trying to use and we are looking for analogs analogies in the physical world of things that happen in the spiritual world and getting your head around um, being born again uh, of being resurrected mm-hmm. I think the closest thing that we have is the deciduous 
uh, forests coming back to life, the flowers coming up out of the ground, mm-hmm. the dogwood trees uh, blooming so beautifully. And, you know, if you were if you were to take somebody from another planet and show them the forest right around here in Nashville in in January and say that, you know, in a few months, this is all going to change and it's going to produce oxygen and there's going to be the most beautiful things on the planet, flowers all over the floor. They would have a hard time believing that. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's people who have a hard time believing that we will be resurrected in this body. I will see God. And so that's a, a really good kind of analogy mm-hmm. in the physical world for what goes on at Easter. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, I, You know how I feel about your book about trees and all the stuff you say about trees. It is one of my favorites. Here's another friend of ours asking a concern that I think a lot of people have, someone who loves Jesus and works or really cares about the environmental field and feeling like the church doesn't talk enough about what's going on in the environment. So how do we put those two together, a love of Jesus and a love of the earth? You know, that's would we'll take a whole show or two or a series <laughs> to do. I've written a number of books. That's right. You have a lot of books. Uh, a number that. of books on that. But I think the bottom, bottom line is that God is in the life business. Mm. That That's what God is about. He's not only for life, he's for everything that supports life. And he understands that. And God understands what supports physical life, spiritual life, mm-hmm. mental life, that sort of thing. And so to say that I'm for life, but I'm not for trees that support life means I have an inconsistent theology. Wow. And, uh, and so one of my, one of my hopes is uh, that this book even that we're going to talk about with suicide is, is that the church projects a, a life-positive theology, which is holistic. Yes, yes. So you write a book about trees that we all fall madly in love with, and then suicide's the next book. Why is suicide what you turned your attentions to next? Because whether I'm talking about Sabbath or um, creation care or understanding of the Bible and the trees in it, they're all things that would fall under the heading of stewardship. Mm -hmm. And God made us the stewards of this planet and told us to have dominion over it. In other words, he Mm -hmm. gave us the power to take care of this place. And the ultimate form of stewardship that we have is over our own lives. Mm -hmm. And and to me, the greatest tragedy would be to end that life uh, before God intends for it to be ended. Yeah, so before we—we're going to jump in now, but will you kind of just give a little word to our friends who are listening, but they're listening with some with a bit of a tentative heart because suicide's close to them from someone they've lost or they've considered it really themselves? Uh, will you kind of just give us an intro of why they should stick around for this conversation? I think it's in the title, Hope Always. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about things of hope. It has been known for and scientifically studied for over a century that committed Christians are four to six times less likely to take their lives than an atheist. That is wild. Uh, they think about suicide the same amount. <gasps> really? But they act on it far, far less. And so— I want to explore that hope with people. Uh, most books about suicide um, that are available are really kind of after the fact. They're about comforting people left behind. But suicide is the one disease in which prevention is the only acceptable treatment. Mm. We've got to get out ahead of this one. When we don't talk about it at all, 
I don't think that helps the situation. Right. Why did you want to write this? I, I wanted to write it be, because I, I believe in st- uh, the, the, the stewardship and, and because I, I practiced medicine uh, for years uh, as an emergency medicine uh, physician. You, you see and you deal with this on an everyday, every shift basis. Really? Every shift just about? Yes. Uh, in, the wow. com- in the coming year, 10 million Americans will consider seriously whether or not to end their lives. And one and a half million will be end up being treated in an emergency department. Well, one of the things I read in your book was that every hour, five Americans kill themselves? That's correct. Is that right? So during this show? Yeah, we'll lose five or six people. That is unreal. That is unreal. Uh, world Worldwide, it's 2,200 a day. It's about 130-some a day in the United States. Wow. Wow. And, and in, your, in my family, we've lost people to suicide. You've lost people up close to you as well. What makes you, I mean, I guess I don't see the tie between trees and, and how much you love the earth, and then going straight to this before the pandemic. I understand it a little more during the pandemic, but was it an easy tie for you? It wasn't. I I, I felt like God was pushing me to do this. Mm. It must be what birds feel like when it's time to migrate, you know. <laughs> wow. And he was pushing and pushing and putting things in front of me, and I was resistant because it's a, it's a heavy topic, and I am— a person just that loves being alive. Yeah. It's a heavy topic. And then I began to see things, uh, et cetera. Um, and then one day I typed into a search bar on the internet, what does God think about suicide? And w- the, one of the first things that came up was an article by two American theologians who said that God, not only the Bible didn't disapprove of it, but in fact, Jesus could be thought to have committed suicide. And that is such stinking, lousy theology. It just incensed me. And then just, you know, seeing how this is growing in the news, I don't think there's a day that goes by where where we don't see this in the news. And then I got a number of Christian books on this topic and said— Okay, Lord, if you really want me to do this, you got to reveal something to me out of Scripture that all of these have missed. I and every book that I've written, I start in Genesis, I go to Revelation, I see what God wants to teach me. Mm-hmm. I got one page into it, and there was Adam and Eve being told that if you do this particular thing, it will kill you. In the day that you do this, you will surely die. It's not a question. Mm-hmm. And they did it, and there was somebody pushing them. And that wasn't mentioned in a single Christian book on the topic that I could find. And so I thought, we are simply blessing secular thinking on this, and we're not looking to Scripture to see what God has to say about it. Yeah, keep going on that. Will you talk a little bit? I I thought this was really interesting as I was reading the book, the, the difference in Saul and Samson and Judas, like the that some would say, that, Saul and Sam, that all three of them committed suicide. Yes, and I and I disagree with that, and I break that down. You, you know, the Bible said that God knows what's in our heart. Mm-hmm. Other people don't know, but, you know, Jesus was there, and he's talking to me. He said, I know what's in your heart. Right, right, right. We are judged and known by what's, what's in our heart. And I believe that the experience of Saul and Samson are not suicides. 
I believe that it's the same as the folks who we, we remember those horrible pictures of people jumping off the top of the World Trade right. Center when they had no escape. The, the fire um, exits were all gone. The elevators were gone. They were completely cut off. They were going to be burned to death. And they chose to jump off mm -hmm. in, instead. I don't think that's suicide. Um, uh, if any of those people were given a pass, <laughs> you know, get out of the situation, they'd have, they, they have taken it. Suicide is you want to end. And with Saul and Samson, they are military uh, f uh, figures. In uh, Saul's instance, uh, he was right. Everybody was killed. He would have been killed. He would have been dismembered alive mm -hmm. in front of people. And uh, Samson is in touch with Central Command yeah. <laughs> and asked to bring the building down. Yes, yes. And they do. And so I think that's a very different experience. When, when a firefighter, when he or she rushes into a burning building, I don't call that suicidal. Right. I call that a hero. Right. And, and so um, I believe in heroes. I think it's one of the things that helps us. And Saul and, and, uh, and Samson is particularly a hero. He's in the Hall of Fame in, in Scripture and everything. Yeah. And so um, to me, uh, suicide is somebody who intentionally or ends their life or is ambivalent about what they're doing. And the very, very large group that that encompasses are people who are overdosing. What has happened statistically with suicide over the last three decades has happened even more so with overdoses to where we actually have more overdoses than suicides in the United States. Mm. And I plan on getting into this just a little bit later, but I, I, I will for listeners. I think people would be stunned to know what's going on with, with drugs out there. Fentanyl, which is a synthetic narcotic, is is 50 times more powerful than heroin. Oh, wow. Carfentanil is 10,000 times <gasps> more potent. The Canadian police intercepted a one-pound or 2.2-kilogram package of carfentanil coming into the country. And to get into perspective, that contained enough to kill every single person in Canada. Oh, my gosh. So when you're taking drugs, unless it comes from a pharmacy, right. you are now rolling the dice. Every time. Every time. And so um, that may not be, quote, intentionally suicidal, but it shows a, a vast indifference to life and I think is emblematic of a culture of despair that people are seeing and living in. Hey, friends, just taking a short break from this conversation to give a shout out to our amazing partners, Brooklyn. And there's something so exciting about the start of a new season. And though the world's still a little sideways, you've got to love the idea of starting fresh with a new thing that'll bring you some comfort. And that's where Brooklyn comes in. Y'all, they've got a birthday sale going on right now. And Brooklyn is offering site-wide savings on all things comfort. It's their biggest sale of the year. Brooklyn was founded by husband and wife duo Rich and Vicky with the goal to create beautiful luxury home essentials at prices that didn't break the bank. By working directly with manufacturers, they ensure premium, high-quality comfort every time at a fraction of the retail price. What that means for us is ridiculously soft bedding, towels, and loungewear. Brooklyn is so confident you'll love everything, they even offer a 365-day warranty. Oh, and they've got 
75,000 five-star reviews and counting. It's tough to argue with that kind of feedback, right? I love my Brooklyn sheets. I may even have two sets so that when I toss one in the wash, I'm able to put the other one on zero nights on any other sheets. Take advantage of these awesome savings and get everything you need for a spring refresh during Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year. Shop the Brooklinen birthday sale going on right now. And if you're listening to this episode after the sale ends, don't worry. You can still go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code that sounds fun to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. That's B R O O K L I N E N.com and enter promo code that sounds fun to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. Brooklyn and everything you need to live your most comfortable life. And now back to our conversation with Dr. Sleep. That was going to be my next question. Why are people committing suicide now more? You scientifically prove in the book, they're committing suicide now more than ever. Yes. Even though we have more technology, we have more advancements, we have more connection. Yeah, it, it is, and and let me break that down for a minute. The traditional high rate of suicide in the United States came during the aptly named Great Depression, mm-hmm. and the rate reached fifteen, uh, fourteen to fifteen per hundred thousand during that that decade of time. We're at that right now, but the difference is, and the reason these aren't apples to apples, is that in nineteen thirty. If you found me and I'd overdosed on on something trying to kill myself, what would you do? Right. You probably didn't have a phone in the house. There's no rescue squad that's going to come get me. There's no yeah. 9-11 system. If you got me to a hospital, they don't even have emergency departments in 1930. Right. Most of them don't have casualty wards, they were called back then. If you do get me there, there's nobody trained in what to do. So in point of fact, it was, if you will, a lot easier to kill yourself in 1930 than it is now. And so I think a much better measure of the desperation and the activity around suicide isn't the absolute number that will die in a year, but the people that are trying to. They're trying, yep. And so if you took that million and a half that are seen in the emergency departments, you have transported them back to 1930, and you can only treat them with technology back then. I think we'd be seeing something anywhere between 100 to 300 per 100,000 as a suicide rate. So we are in a we're in a situation that as far as I know has never been experienced on the planet. And I thought it was interesting in the book when you said humans are the only are the only living thing that take their own lives. We are except this is, the pigs that Jesus sent the demons into. Yes. Uh, scientists have looked and looked. They like to have an animal model for any disease to mm-hmm. study it, and there is no animal model for this. There's no zebra that ever woke up one morning and said, to heck with it. I'm not running from the lion today. Right. It just doesn't happen. It's a uniquely human activity and points toward the fact that we have a spiritual side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not evolutionarily uh, responsible to end your your life and your genetic line or whatever. And yet we, we see that uh, again and again with, with people. So what's happening? Why are people killing themselves and trying to kill themselves at this rate? I think the bottom, bottom line is that we are seeing the results of a culture that's trying to live without God. Mm. I, I just, I think that's the bottom line. I think that 
the and it's not one particular aspect of that, but we are building a world in which the things that I think we need to survive and thrive, uh, community, uh, a sense of fellowship, of certainty, of your yes is your yes and your no is your no, those, those are things that are, are disappearing for a lot of people. And my, the people up close to me who have committed suicide were all Christians. So it doesn't feel like they were trying to do life without God. You know, that, that's interesting. I have not known a Christian uh, who has uh, committed suicide, but we are not, we live in the culture too, and, mm-hmm. and we're not immune uh, to the things of, that, you know, have made the whole world a fallen uh, place. I tell a story in here about going into a church, there were 11,000 people that Sunday, preaching the multiple sermons. The church clears out. I'm looking at the worship leader who flew in from London, and and nobody offered us lunch, nothing. Wow. If I feel lonely having been in church and I'm the pastor, what do you feel like if you just wandered in the back? Right. And so just because somebody's in church doesn't mean that they feel safe and fellowship and, you know, and, and a sense of community. I'm trying to find—here it is. Uh, you made a list after—in uh, one of the chapters talking about Elijah and how Elijah wanted to quit and and wanted to end his life. And you said, even God's best can despair, and being hungry, angry, lonely, and tired can kill you. Absolutely. Will you talk about those two things? I think I think our friends listening need to hear—my pastor said to me—I I taught here at church on Sunday— and I cried when I taught. And afterwards, he said, "I want, God wants to remind you that winners cry too. What I do in the book is I do a biblical survey of what happens when Satan shows up. Yep. And then I do a biblical survey of what happens when people despair and God shows up. Mm-hmm. So let me go through Satan first, okay? Yeah. Let's get the bad stuff out yeah. of the way first. From from Genesis where Satan shows up and is 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 telling Adam and Eve, you know, pull the trigger, try, tie the noose, you know, swallow the pills. Um, virtually every time Satan shows up in scripture, there's a trail of dead bodies. It's wild. Um, chronologically, the next time that Satan shows up in scripture is the book of Job. Chronologically, Job should be behind Genesis. Job is written in this magnificent poetry. Uh, Everybody agrees it's one of the most poetic books in the Bible. And so they don't use the word suicide. They say curse God and die Mm -hmm, in, mm -hmm. in Job. You don't curse God and then your heart stops, but that's the poetry for that. And so one of the things I do is look at why didn't Job commit suicide? But but let's get back to Satan in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he comes through, and even when Satan meets uh, Christ, he tries to get him to jump. Um, right. <laughs> you know, jump off the tower, the bridge, the, bu- the building, whatever. And uh, then— then making, um, a, making a promise that angels will catch him, but literally trying to get Jesus to commit right, suicide. Right, right. Uh, put God to the test, and uh, and of course Satan enters into Judas, and Judas uh, commits suicide. Conversely, when people and they are the best, some of them out of the Bible, uh, say, "I've had it. I'm at the end of my rope." Uh, for instance, Moses. I mean, mm-hmm. who had to deal with more bozos than than 
than Moses. The even, idea that that God brought in 70 people to help Moses carry what he was carrying. It, I'm like, poor Moses. He needed 70 people. Exactly. Even oh his gosh. own brother yes. and sister. Make, oh, yes. this nonsense. You were going from a moment and and golden calves were leaping out of the, uh, <laughs> out of the right. campfire. Give That's me a break. Right. That's right. And, and yet God attends to Moses um, when Elijah uh, calls out and says, I can't take this anymore. Um, God ministers to him and puts him to sleep and feeds him and gives him water. That's where that halt business uh, yeah. came from. But we see this with Jonah. Yeah, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yep. Yeah, and we see this with Jonah, uh, et cetera. So God knows when you're down, you uh, you know, it's uh, Jesus is a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't you don't have to put on a show to be a legitimate. Christian. And I talk about people like Mother Teresa and Charles Spurgeon who suffered from depression. To me, they're the heroes of the faith. It isn't all about having a sparkly life that everybody wants to emulate. It's about having a relationship with God who understands your darkest moments. Mm -hmm. Stare with you. Mm -hmm. So everywhere, I, I thought that was amazing in the book when you do that whole survey, as you say, of Everywhere Satan shows up, death is not far behind in every way. Yeah. I have two scriptures. Can I read them? Yes. Come on. For this book. Um, And uh, the one is the bottom, bottom line of Jesus explaining what's going on with suicide. Oh, wow. And it's John 10.10. The thief, and he's talking about Satan here, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's mm-hmm. Jesus explaining everything we're talking about mm-hmm. here. Yes. And then uh, a scripture out of the Proverbs that speaks specifically to what is my responsibility and your responsibility as Christians to minister and care about people who are in this position. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, I wouldn't go to the Proverbs thinking there's right. a suicide line there. But my son-in-law, brilliant guy that he is, mm-hmm. and a pastor, yeah. we're talking about this. He said, oh, Proverbs 24, 11. So this is Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. If you say, behold, we did not know this, Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Wow. You and I are our brothers and sisters keepers, like it or not. Mm -hmm. Why? Let's talk a little bit about the language as we keep going. Uh, In the book, you, you make it clear that we, it is important, the language we use around suicide and saying committing suicide actually is important because of the what we're actually saying. Will you explain that? Yes, there's it, it, there's always somebody trying to rewrite, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I grew up in the, having a personnel department. Now it's mm-hmm. human resources. Frankly, right. personnel felt better to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and some, you know, uh, mental health workers are trying to change the language around suicide. Uh, I think the rationale was that since suicide is no longer a, a crime in some places, that we shouldn't commit suicide. But committing to something is like I committed to my wife in my marriage vows. If I messed up in medicine, I committed malpractice. Mm-hmm. It lends some gravity um, to what's going on, and also lets me know that I am I am I am part of that. 
And, and so I don't think that we are served by changing the language around suicide, which has really served us well for, for centuries. Mm-hmm. I, I, we, when we were talking about here in the office, we were talking about like, what does it look like to be committed to life? Mm-hmm. Like, what if you just say, I'm committed no matter what to life? And what does that look like? Because that feels like the weight you're trying to express. Exactly. And I use the word patient, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, because it comes from patience. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we we live in a world uh, where things happen on the screen instantly or they're always, you know, summed up by the end of the movie. And, and, and the healing process, whether or not it's physical or mental, can take time and patience reminds uh, the the caretakers, the mental health workers, the physicians, the psychiatrists, and nurses um, that uh, to be patient with the patient <laughs> in what they're going through and struggling with, and it also reminds the person with the disease um, that that life is um, takes time. Yeah. What do you say uh, this whole idea of halt? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah, I, that's something we taught our kids when they were little. And, you know, it's easier to see on kids. And when they were getting all bent out of shape, we would teach them to do this systems check. Mm-hmm. And 99% of the time, if they did that, they would find out that they were either hungry. I mean, little kids can't even tell you they're hungry. Right. Um, that they were angry. You know, brother or sister pushed the buttons that yeah. they installed. <laughs> that they were lonely or afraid of something mm-hmm. or that they were tired. Uh, there are very few three-year-olds who raise their hand and say, can you please put me to bed? Right, I mean, right. <laughs> and as adults, I think we need to have that sometimes. We sleep far less um, than we used to. And with the um, uh, with the use of cell phone technology in particular, there are kids in, in elementary and junior high school who are never getting, you know, more than an hour's uninterrupted sleep oh because their phones are binging all night mm-hmm. and they, they want to see what it is. So hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And if we attend to some of those things, it's just the beginning of of what I would call mental hygiene. Yes. I, my friends and I say that to each other when we have strong emotional response. It's usually like, I totally believe you. Also, are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Are any of those playing into this? Because go, like we said to one girl yesterday, go take a nap and then let's talk about it. Because everything you're feeling is true, but you will feel better if you're a little more rested. Right. I was really moved by that part of the book where you said, with the rise in suicide of teenagers, we're also seeing them sleep less. Absolutely. And along with that, I. by the way, the demographics of suicide are, are really changing. It has become, if you will, the, the equal opportunity um, tragedy. Really? Uh, used to be that somebody like me, old guy, <laughs> was the typical high, you know, suicide rate. Oh, really? Absolutely, yeah. Huh. A guy in his 60s or 70s white would, would have been the the most prevalent uh, uh, suicide in society. Uh, but that, that those distinctions are going away. Uh, it, racially, it's crossing lines. Uh, age-wise, I think we had four under 13 in my city mm-hmm. that uh, committed suicide uh, two years ago. Under 13. Under 13. Oh and with that group of young folks, mm. the 
the time between thinking about it and doing it, uh, it's been studied, and it's often like 45 minutes. Oh, my gosh. So in particular with young people, and I break advice down to younger mm-hmm. folks, um, older, uh, you've got to get out ahead of the curve. If if you've got 45 minutes and you're not even there, you've got to have stuff implanted in your child's head of mm-hmm. what to do if that if that thought occurs to them. Mm-hmm. And let me let me get something out of the way here. Yeah. The question comes up is do I begin a discussion with somebody about this or am I going to make them more likely to think about suicide or commit suicide? Mm-hmm. And this has been studied again and again and again and you will not. You will actually decrease the incident of suicide simply by bringing it up. Wow. So let's go through worst case scenario here. You have a friend, a loved one that you are um, concerned that this might be a possibility what's going on. For me, I had a sentence that I used every time I brought this up in the emergency department and since I was in the ER that I've used, and that is, are you thinking about harming yourself? Okay. Every time I ask that, amazed by how appreciative people are of being asked And they tell the truth. And they tell the truth. Yeah. Yeah. They tell the truth. So let's say you've asked that question, and and if you have to rehearse it, I mean, a lot of this book is just practical. There's a toolkit. If you need to rehearse it with other folks in your small group or your church Mm -hmm. or whatever, so Mm -hmm. you feel a little more comfortable, do it. If the answer is yes, I think the next question that you have to ask is, have you thought about how you're going to do that or do you have a plan? Mm-hmm. If the answer to that is yes, now you're moving into some really pretty serious area. Um, yeah, that sounds really scary. It is. And if if they say, yes, I've been thinking about it and yes, I have a plan, then you want to know if they have the means. So if somebody, let's take the worst case scenario. Yes, I've been thinking of it. My plan is to use firearms. You got to ask, do you own a gun? Mm-hmm. If the answer to all three of those is yes, you have an emergency on your hands. This is not one to figure out tomorrow or the next day. It's why God made the 9-11 system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you need to walk through that with somebody. Um, uh, one of the things that happens, particularly if people are suicidal and depressed. And depression isn't always, it's not always a one-to-one type of thing. But depression is a disease that can just be paralyzing to people. And they literally can't get themselves from here to there. You've got to dial the 911 for them. You've got to say, I'm here with somebody who's suicidal and have a plan Mm -hmm. and accompany them to the hospital if necessary and and walk them through that. So that's our move is we literally call 911 and we say to our friend, hey, this this is a then this is an emergency and I'm going to call 911. Yeah. And then the, yeah. then then the, and then what happens when they take him to the hospital? You know, I just went through this with an 11-year-old uh child not too long ago, uh, new to our country, had seen his father tortured in Africa, uh, and wasn't wasn't able to integrate with language and that sort of thing here and it and so went through the questions, yes, he was suicidal, yes, he had a plan, and yes, he had the means. 
And so it was sitting with him for hours. Uh, the system is not, if you think it's hard sitting in an emergency department because you've broken your arm, uh, when your heart's broken, you know, when you're ready to commit yeah. suicide, it's not necessarily a user-friendly system, but it works. That's right. Okay, it works. And as the person who uh, is loving and responsible or, or cares about them, don't talk about how the system's broken. Just okay. stay with them. Just Have that there. ministry of presence. Yeah, yeah. Hey, friends, just taking a short break from this conversation to give a shout out to our amazing new partners, Modern Fertility. Knowledge is power. And when you know more, you can make better decisions for your body, for your health, and your future. There aren't many decisions bigger than becoming a parent, but for many women, their fertility is a big question mark. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. When I did my test, it was super simple. I barely felt it. And then I just dropped it in the mail with the prepaid label they provided. It'll be that simple for you too. And then you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com, slash that sounds fun. You can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what each hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, having this important information will help you make decisions that are best for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our friends $20 off their test when you go to modernfertility.com slash that sounds fun. That means your test will cost $139 instead of hundreds or even thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash that sounds fun. Modernfertility.com slash that sounds fun. And now back to our conversation with Dr. Sleep. Will you talk about, for our friends that are raising kids, you say in the, toward the beginning of the book that one of the most important things parents can do is tell their children they are not an accident. Yes, I didn't grow up in the best <laughs> of circumstances. It wasn't the worst, but I was living on my own by the time I was 16. And I remember my mother saying, you know, you you guys, I wish we didn't have or, or, or whatever. Oh. And uh, But I had this great, great aunt. Um, she was uh, 104, I think, 103, 104, who grabbed me by the shoulders and she said, Matthew, you are such a rascal that God <laughs> has had to give you two angels. And then she looked over each shoulder as if she could see him. I think she could. Uh-huh. And she said, God has a plan for you. Mm. He put you here for a purpose. And and your your purpose is to find out what that plan is. Wow. And if you look at what is, let's say you didn't say anything to your kid other than I love them, that's great. But when they go to school, they are going to hear that the whole universe is an accident and has no meaning. Mm, right. That's secular education. That's what the way I was educated. Yep. To speak into that, to the contrary, and to say that you are a magnificent creation of a loving God who has a plan for you. And it may not be easy to figure out what that plan is, but that's your life's work. Yeah. 
how does it change who we, how does it protect us from committing suicide as kids and as adults if we believe that God made us on purpose? That is a great question. I, you know, it's kind of like if I walked in here Let's say with a dozen chocolate chip cookies. Like you that, may have done. That, <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> That's my wife. Yeah. She's making me look good. Well, you know, she had to plan for that and uh-huh. everything. She knew she wanted, uh, you know, everybody to be happy and everything versus I found these in the parking lot. Right. How does what? How do you feel? You yeah, know? the love difference. Well, it's the is, love difference. Yep, yeah, yep. it's the love difference. And, and, and God— made us out of love and loves and cares for us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. And, you know, I used to, I I spent most of my life not as a Christian. I wasn't a believer until I was 47 years old. Talk about thick-headed, okay? Mm. (laughs) I think they got tired of giving me dummy slaps on the head (laughs) from heaven um, and everything. But I have to say that I, I lived a majority of my life thinking I was an accident going to I was I'm a beloved plan and as somebody who think thought I was an accident everything was about what I could do in life how successful I could be you know as a doctor or chief of staff or head of the emergency department how big a house I could give my family and everything and you know what that's those dominoes can come tumbling down anytime when I think instead, no, I have a loving father who even when I stumble, even when I fall, on my worst day, when I've lost my patience with that perfect wife, you know, mm-hmm. and yelled at her because once again, I've misplaced my keys or something, <laughs> that's different. It means yeah. I'm loved. Mm-hmm. And we were built to run on love. We were built to run on love. Yeah. For our friends listening that are con- have considered suicide before maybe are considering it, what is their next move? I think they have to get it firm in their mind that if they hear a voice telling them to kill themselves, that doesn't come from them. That comes from the thief. That comes from Satan, the tempter, whatever you want to um, call. It, it's, it's only a, a demonic thing would want another person dead mm-hmm. just because. Mm-hmm. Th- that voice doesn't come from God. You've got to hear the voice of the Lord. You are loved. Now, I have to say that we've gone in the church to the extreme of blessing everything or, you know, being very, very condemning. There are people who should should consider, am I miserable because I'm not what God wants me to be? Mm-hmm. And God does ask us to die to ourselves if, you know, and and take on his his yoke. Yeah. And and so I, I think just, you know, trite answers to these, uh, you know, I know the plans God has for you to practice, you know, the, there there are also times where we need to ask ourselves, am I feeling miserable here because I'm not doing what the Lord wants me to do? Wow. Wow. So, so if we can't consider that, right. how do we have any correction, you know, from the Lord in yeah, our life? That's right. Anytime I feel like the Lord's quiet, I'm like, first check. Am I doing something? Yeah. <laughs> Am I sinning? Is there something I don't, I'm not paying attention to? So, so you're saying to our friends, like, for starters, don't believe the voices that tell any any voice in your head that tells you death is lying. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, second, do a kind of look at your life and. 
where are you? And and are you needing to step closer to what God has for you? Example, I had uh, uh, a friend, he was kind of miserable uh, working at this fantastic job, uh, you know, financial type of job. And he finally realized the Lord was calling him and his family to to do missions in mm. Shanghai, China. That's mm. that's where they went for three years yeah. and everything. It's really changed the trajectory of his life, but his whole family's life. Um, and I think often we'll we'll do like a systems check and we'll think, oh, good job, good car, good house, something like that. God doesn't care about. I have no place mm. to lay my head. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. um, and and so. You know, uh, don't don't just dismiss uh, melancholy um, as purely a chemical thing. There may be something God's trying to get through and talk to you. Having said that, if somebody is suicidal or that depressed, they need professional help. Yeah. Uh, too, you need to walk through this. And 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 I here's a caveat. In, in making this book, and in, in this book, I was very interested in not do, why do people kill themselves, but why do people in similar situations not kill themselves? Mm-hmm. What wisdom can we w- learn from those who've gone before us? And one of the people who really got me going on this was a 93-year-old woman who walked me through the time in her life that she was uh, suicidal, had a plan, etc., and then kind of deconstructed what was it that got her through this. Mm. And so I'm very interested in what gets people through, not what doesn't. So what gets people through? Her things that got her through was, I'll just go down a whole list. Number one, fear of what would happen to her soul. Oh, wow. The beginning of wisdom is what? Fear of God, yeah. Fear of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You should have some fear. This is big stuff we're talking about. You're making a huge choice. Huge yeah. choice. Uh-huh. Number two, concern about others. She had three children when she went through the worst period of her life. She had uh, supported her husband through med school and residency, and he came home and said, there's somebody younger and prettier that I want to take up with. What a, you know, devastating thing. Who could not blame her um, for finding herself, you know, in that? Um, But she had children, and she thought, what's going to happen to these kids. The third thing was faith, which she really did cling to. And she really surrounded herself with a few people who were encouraging her. And she found it necessary to have things taped up. I think this was before stickies. Yeah. (laughs) But she taped up things that were Bible verses and pieces of hymns. A lot of people are very much helped by music. Music can minister to our souls. If how great is our God is the one that works for you, listen to it 50 times in a row. That's what you need to um, to make it through the day. And then she was particularly, she saw something in flowers. Oh, wow. um, That that really, there's something about the beauty of flowers. Does Christ give a whole treatise on that? He does. <laughs> he's he's talking one day about how magnificent, you know, uh, think of the highest height of human society, the philosopher, Plato's philosopher king on the throne, that's Solomon, you know, picture the chariots, the gold shields, uh, the palaces and everything, him getting dressed and putting the, you know, the royal jewels on. He said, now take a flower. We won. That's prettier. Yeah, yeah. And so I think we have to surround ourselves with, with beauty. And one, one of the things in the practical section of this book is if you're down, you need to be right 
reading the right things. You need to be watching the right stuff. You need to be listening to. We are a product of what we put into ourselves. And there's a lot of dystopian stuff out there um, to put into ourselves. Don't do that. Right, right. I was grateful for those lists. I, I saw those in the back that movies, music, books to read. And you even was like, here's the age level appropriate. Here's the year. So so do you know who that helpful. whole practical section is due to? Uh-uh, who? Nancy. Yes. Oh, of course. <laughs> she was like, I'm going to bake cookies and tell you some stuff to add to your book. Absolutely. Make yeah. a list of all the movies people <laughs> should be watching. Hey, friends, just taking a short break to give a shout out to our amazing partners, Ancient Nutrition. I feel like everywhere I turn, I'm hearing about the positive effects of collagen. It's all the rage, but it's way more than just hype. And you can get the very best collagen on the market from Ancient Nutrition. Ancient Nutrition has one goal, to transform the health of every individual on the planet with history's most powerful superfoods. Okay, Ancient Nutrition setting their sights on everyone on the planet. I like it. Whether you want to improve your physical health, sharpen your mind, or just feel like your best self, Ancient Nutrition makes supplements that get real results that you can see and feel. All Ancient Nutrition products are made from the highest quality ingredients, and they're rigorously and repeatedly tested for purity. Their best-selling multi-collagen protein powder includes five types of collagen, y'all. Five. Again, with the over-delivering, it's the first and only collagen on the market with clinically studied ingredients proven to help reduce joint discomfort as early as day one, improve fine lines and wrinkles after four weeks, and transform your overall skin tone after eight weeks. And since it's unflavored and dissolves in any liquid, you can put a scoop in your morning coffee, your smoothie, or even in baked goods. I love putting it in my tea in the morning. What a great way to get a little extra protein, plus all the other benefits of Ancient Nutrition's proven formulas. Right now, Ancient Nutrition is offering 20% off your first order. When you go to ancientnutrition.com right now and enter the promo code that sounds fun at checkout. That's ancientnutrition.com. Enter promo code that sounds fun for 20% off your first order. Ancientnutrition.com. Enter promo code that sounds fun at checkout. And now back to finish our conversation with Dr. Sleep. You also talk about, I want to say the word correctly, sleep uh, hygiene, sleep hygiene, because you mentioned even like uh, what we watch right before we go to sleep is affecting how we sleep. And so will you talk a little bit about the importance of sleep for all of us? You know, it's interesting that uh, particularly in Elijah's case, God puts Elijah to sleep. Yeah. Like multiple times, right? Just multiple, let's keep multiple times. And God love him. And uh, you know, don't ask your doctor before you do any of this, but <laughs> I I used to put people to sleep for considerable periods of time. Yeah. Just to sort of reset the clock. Mm-hmm. Um it was not an uncommon medical treatment a hundred years ago to keep somebody up for a 36-hour period or 24, and then let them go to sleep and crash and kind of reset their uh, circadian rhythms. When I started uh, in medicine, that was still done in hospital. And and, um, nobody has, you know, your entire, you know, stay for your uh, heart transplant, lung transplant is supposed to be done in 36 hours these days. But... Sleep is important. We were we were built to sleep. The Lord uh, goes to sleep, and you know the the uh, the mind is willing, but the the body is weak. Yeah, God understands that. It's uh, um, and and so I I think if you're 
if you're 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 dealing with depression and everything, you've got to go back to ABCs. You've got to you've got to eat a diet that's sensible. You've got to put things that are edifying into your uh, mind. Mm-hmm. You've got to get a proper amount of exercise and um, a proper amount of, of sleep. sleep. What's been your experience so far with people responding to this book and you writing about suicide? I have been stunned by the response. We uh, have just, I mean, the book isn't even out yet. And in last week, I did five radio shows in one day and oh a gosh. and a podcast. Uh, people are hungry for this. They. It's a big topic. It's intimidating, but they have no source of how to approach this from their faith. Mm-hmm. I I know there are pastors out there who have preached about this, but I have yet to meet anyone who's heard a sermon about suicide in a proactive sense. That's not preaching after somebody's committed suicide right. in a reactive, but in a proactive sense. Um and this really came home to me when I was asked to meet with a uh, a group of about 110 uh, high school students. Oh, wow. And they were traveling through um, Lexington's where I live, mm-hmm. uh, going to the, back to their home in Washington, D.C. And their pastors uh, asked if I could meet with them. I said, sure, I'll not only meet with them, I'll feed them pizza. <laughs> well I done. won't make that mistake again. <laughs> Wow, that's a lot of pizzas. That is so <laughs> much pizza for 100 yeah. high schoolers. No yeah. kidding. And we were talking. We are talking about environmental stuff because that's what I was asked to talk yeah. about. And somebody said, Dr. Sleeth, what are you working on now? And I said, suicide. And you could have heard a pin drop from that second wow. on. And two of the students, uh, there was a nurse traveling with the group because two of the students were on suicide watch. <gasps> and one had lost a first cousin that week. Oh, my gracious. To suicide. And we just began this honest kind of dialogue. And I, and I said to them, have you ever heard a sermon on this? No. Has anybody ever talked to you about it in church? Mm-hmm. No. And then I said, has any adult ever told you that suicide is wrong? No. You cannot assume that young folks are just going to, through osmosis, absorb the Bible, right, right, or, or Christianity—they're not. Sometimes you have to be very concrete. And and I said it—it it, it is wrong. Having said that, God can forgive any sin, any wrong that you think up. He's you know his work on the cross. Yeah, it's got you covered there. Um, but you have to say it's wrong. You know, it's similarly if, and I don't think it's the church's fault per se. If you opened all the medical textbooks I still have left, there's not one that you're going to find a sentence, don't spit on the OR floor. It's assumed that you know what hygiene is right. after you've gone through that. And I think in the church, it was assumed that you know that this is not God's plan for your life. Mm-hmm. But I think that parents have to be concrete with kids and say, this is not God's plan. That's Satan's plan for your life, and that's a bad plan. Right. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it just sometimes feels like in culture that we're not allowed, that we're supposed to be more white-gloved with suicide and say, like, because we it'll make people sad if we say it too directly, but it will save lives if we say it directly. Absolutely. And and the 
effect of suicide for any family that's gone through this is devastating, and it's multi-generational. Yes. Frederick Buechner, I don't, mm-hmm. yeah, a hero of a lot of us as Christian writer, um, goes again and again and again, talked about how it formed him, and not in a great way, that is, he saw his father commit suicide when he was 11, oh, wow. I think. And um, so it's it has this devastating impact. And so to just wait and hope everything turns out okay is, you know, God empowered us. He wants us to have life and have it abundantly. In order to do that, we have to talk about the things that take life away. So in Hope Always, it's it's the story you're telling. It's the book. But also at the back, there's a lot of resources. There's like a whole practical toolkit. What is What all is included in that for people? Well, let's just turn and see. Okay. Flip on <laughs> <Okay>. back there. <laughs> okay. This, by the way, we should have my better three quarters here, Nancy, because she really is responsible for this. I'm yeah. pi- I'm pie in the sky theology guy, and she's <laughs> like, "Yeah, but what are we going to serve them for dinner?" Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> and so, uh, it's it's called a toolkit in the back, and uh, the beginning is twelve ways you can help save a life. You know, if you think about it, you know the words of encouragement or the Bible says they're apples of of gold. Mm-hmm. When I get a card in the mail. Oh, wow, how special that is these mm-hmm. days. Is it too big a deal to mail a card to somebody who might be down and to say, I love you and I'm glad you're in my life? Mm-hmm. That's all you have to say. Mm-hmm. Put a scripture in there if you want. Right. Um, uh, visit people, call, and particularly in this time of isolation, we have to work a little harder and be intentional mm-hmm. about um, in encouraging uh, others, and and so there's you know a whole list of uh, the the twelve ways that you can help. There's scripture and quotes that give voice to our pain. We read in the Bible where other people, heroes of the faith, have struggled with this, and a lot of times, you know, depression in particular is an isolating and lonely mm-hmm. uh, condition. And just to know that other people have gone through this and God loves them and they're in heaven, yeah. you know, these folks um, can can be an encouragement. Or even having other people's words of how bad it was when they went through it, that you know, Simon Garfunkel, you know, hello, darkness, my old friend, yeah. is cribbed off Psalm 88. Wow, I didn't know that. And then there's a lot of hopeful scriptures and quotes here that goes on for pages. Um, there, I love that part. I loved looking through the scriptures that y'all have collected of how to have hope. Again, my better three quarters, Nancy. <laughs> Nancy! Yeah, there's, you know, next time I come. She has to come with you. She just has she's to. She's like way smarter and prettier than me. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, no, she always tells me, you're the pretty you're the pretty face on the Brains Family Outfit. <laughs> um, there's hymns and songs yeah. that uplift. And I, I don't know about you, but there are, you know, for me, nothing in the world works like Handel's Messiah. As a pagan, I listened to Handel's Messiah over and over again without really hearing the words because it was so beautiful. Oh, wow. It, it doesn't have to be Christmas. It doesn't have to be Easter to take this out and and charge your batteries up. I know I'm old-fashioned. Handel's <laughs> Messiah works for me. But there's, no, I love it. There's, there's kind of classical music. There's modern worship. There's mm-hmm. traditional hymns and, and even some uh, popular uh, music. You know, I, I had yeah. a— I had a time where I wasn't depressed, but I was going through a lot of difficulties in, mm-hmm. in the ministry. 
you know, sometimes rarely there are personnel problems. Yeah, it happens. You, you know, that happens. Humans. And my daughter made up a CD of a bunch of great songs, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, party in the USA. It's yeah. pretty hard to be hooked. <laughs> may right. not be holy, but it's it's good. <laughs> um, uh, then there's uh, movies uh, mm-hmm. to uplift, mm-hmm. and please avoid those kind of downer um, movies. But these are movies um, that that uplift, and then there's books um, yeah. that that uplift. And if you're too depressed to read, get it on you know get it on audio, audio streaming. Which I thought um, was so interesting in the book when you talk about Nancy taking that Virginia Woolf class. In college and how it affected her spirit. Oh, boy. The whole I, time. So what we read really affects who we are. Not yeah. that, Virginia Woolf is a great classic author, but she was depressed. And she was depressed and depressing. Yes. And, you know, birds of a feather flock mm-hmm. uh, together. Uh, it, it really changed her, her affect for that mm. semester. I was never again. Um, no, we didn't have a Virginia Woolf book burning, but I right, thought about right. it. Um, so there's nonfiction. Um, and then there's things just like I think everybody needs to put in their phone uh, the 1-800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Hotline, or it's 1-800-273-TALK. Okay. And not, if not for yourself, for somebody else. I mean, how – how does that show that you're prepared? It does if you can bring your phone out and say, "Listen, you ever you ever need to? This is the number. Yeah. Here's the shared contact, etc." And so there's right. some other uh, resources like that. And then there are groups like a lot of people who are struggling with suicidal things have um, kind of what would be called comorbidities, and addiction is mm-hmm. is one of the big ones. And I have never seen anything work for addiction other than spiritual programs, Mm. 12-step programs. Uh, At some level, we're fighting spiritual battles here. And so if you are struggling with addiction, you got to get yourself into AA, NA, Celebrate Recovery, some, some similar type of groups. And there's um, those kinds of things. And then there's a discussion guide for, for groups that are studying this and, yeah. and how can you help other th- people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, the book is such a gift, I would imagine, for the whole spectrum of people, whether thinking about suicide is something that is something you wrestle with or you don't, but you know people who do. And, and if it, from what you're saying to me, Based on the numbers, one of my friends is thinking about this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just opening— wild to think about. I just came from a church 30 miles from here, and I was asked to talk to the staff Mm -hmm. uh, today. And and there was—you know, this is a big topic. It's a somber topic. And then somebody spoke up and said, I've struggled with uh, depression and suicidal thoughts, and it's— it's my job in the church that gets me through, et cetera. Mm. But you could see how freeing that was to be able to to say that without feeling like he was a leper. Yes. Finally, there was somebody in the room discussing this. Yes, yes. You, to our friends listening, you can tell someone you are not a leper. This is not a disease that we are afraid of. You've got Elijah's and Moses' <laughs> yeah. problem and yeah. David's problem yeah. and, and Jonah's problem. I, yeah. I, I got so much hope today reading 
the Elijah story and reading your take on the Elijah story of going like, oh yeah, Elijah was like, I cannot do this anymore. And God was like, eat something, take a nap. Let's like. Repeat as needed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just was, I was really moved by that today. Okay. Is there anything we didn't say that you want to make sure we cover? One thing is a caveat. Uh, as a physician, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the John Wesley saying is first do no harm, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe that the church and faith and Christianity have so much to offer in this area, but there are limitations to that. Mm-hmm. And I would urge anyone who is, is is listening to this to never stop medication you're on without the knowledge of the prescriber. In the course of studying this, you also hear people can get hurt by religion. They can get hurt by by church. And you you can't pray your way out of schizophrenia. You're not you're not going to um, or I have not seen um, praying praying your way out of bipolar disease, etc. So my my hope is take the best that the secular world has to offer mm-hmm. and take the best that Christianity has to offer, and that will that will put you in the in the best possible place to make it through. Uh, I love in the book when you say, "If the Bible doesn't match science, it's because science has got to catch up with the Bible, not the other way around." Yes, <laughs> that, that they are both for us and for our health. And, and all truth life. is God's truth. Yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's all my questions. I, I'm I'm trying to be really sensitive to make sure there's nothing that, like I'm that you or I need to say else, but it feels like we covered it all. Is there anything else you think we didn't? I think I think we can move on to uh, sunspots and dandruff. Let's <laughs> let's fix it all. You know, right, that's right. Well, you know the last question we always ask, because the show is called That Sounds Fun, we still got to know what sounds fun to you. I can't, I, I'm going to n- mention a couple of things. Okay, good. Having my children when they were little and having my grandchildren, one under each arm, yeah. just hugging them, talking to them, reading to yeah. them is is just unbelievable peace. My wife uh, on on my shoulder, you know, that quiet, because that's where God pulled her out, you know, yeah. to begin with. Um, but there's no activity that I have ever found uh, as much fun as a sustained activity, and my son is in it too, as saving lives. Mm. And if your listeners just save one friend, man, that 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 is as good as it gets. Yeah. That's fun. Saving a life, saving us, being in on saving a soul yeah. is, is just deeply satisfying work. Yeah. Well, thank you for what you do. I cannot, we will never know this side of heaven how much your work, and particularly this book, is saving lives. So it is exciting to think we have another resource that tells the enemy he doesn't win. So thank you for writing this. Thank you. thank And thanks for having me. Uh, always. You okay. know, and, and you walked out of this office a year and a half ago, and I said, as soon as you want to come back, you <laughs> always are welcome at, at this table. Oh, you guys, isn't he the best? What a gift. And I I hope you gained a lot from that conversation, a lot of hope, a lot of help. And I do want to say that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number again, either for you to save in your phone or for you to call if you need it. It is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. 
273-TALK. So if you need that number for yourself or if you want to save it in your phone for someone that you love, that is the phone number. Make sure you grab a copy of Dr. Sleeth's new book called Hope Always, How to Be a Force for Life in a Culture of Suicide. It is out on May 4th. That's this coming Tuesday. So you can go ahead and pre-order it today. Just head to your favorite place you love to buy books and go ahead and pre-order. It'll get to you next week. And go follow Dr. Sleeth so you can tell him thanks for being on the show today. And I hope after today's conversation, you feel seen and loved and remember how much you matter. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me, you guys. That is how you can find me. And I'm Annie F. Downs, TSF, like that sounds fun, on YouTube. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. I'll do the same. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you back here on Monday. Monday.